Hello, everybody. Create or consume? Create or consume? That's the question that my brother asked me that really shook my world. Are we going to use the God-given time he's given us to create the good works that he's set forth for us to do? Are we only going to consume the world's works for our own entertainment? Today's message is called Creator Consume, Walking into the Good Works that God Has for Us. Creator Consume, Walking into the Good Works that God Has for Us. Our key passage, if you want to turn there, is Ephesians 2.10. Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I'll read it again, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you know that God has placed gifts and talents inside of you, both natural and spiritual, for you to edify Him? And that He's put dreams and convictions in your soul. And that in Acts 17, it says, God sets forth the times and the places in which you live to accomplish those good works. Before the foundations of the world, God knew he was going to call you into his kingdom and that he set forth good works for you to accomplish. So as I'm preaching today, I want you to think about what is the good work God has called you to, both big and small. I'm hoping this is an affirmation because that would mean that you're doing the good works and so I'm not trying to heap guilt or the, or the Lord of God is not trying to heap guilt on you. But sometimes, like a good coach, the Holy Spirit spanks me. He gives me a correction. He says, come on, get up. Stop being so lazy. Do the work I've called you to do. I'm not coming here as a preacher from a place of victory in this area, maybe some victories, but this is a place of struggle for me. How about you? I feel like that tomorrow is not promised to any one of us, and if God forbid tomorrow, I would feel a sense of regret for the things that God has put on my heart that I have not accomplished for him. How about you? Now you might say, oh, I want to see the Eiffel Tower. Well, I'm not talking about a bucket list for our own pleasures, right? I'm not saying there's anything wrong per se, but I'm saying that there are good works for us to accomplish in this life. My twin brother is an artist. He's an oil painter. He's a writer. Uh, and he's a working man like a lot of us, right? Struggling artists, right? And uh, we try to encourage each other. And just a little bit about my childhood uh, with my twin brother, my dad gifts inside of you, and it's not meant to be toil, although it is toil sometimes. You know, a painting, a screenplay, a movie, it takes work, a song. But what happens the artistic and creative abilities, and some of you are business people, I don't know, it depends on what you're called to do, and emerge that with our desire to do God's kingdom. And so uh, on Tuesday nights, we, we did something, we did an improv group on a secular campus called Tuesday Night Live. And it was like, 
it was it was skits, it was improv comedy, and it was meant to get people in the world coming into a evangelistic environment. And by God's grace, it was very effective. And people came to faith, and some missionaries came out of that. People who, the arts that we use, the artistic abilities, the the acting was used for God's glory. But then later on in life, things get really, really busy, and it gets very difficult. And uh, my brother and I, we finished college, and we felt called to work on a, he had a movie project, and he sacrificed a lot for that. And these are dreams and goals that God puts in our hearts that we're meant to walk in. And God has put dreams and goals. I'm home, I'm tired, and we end up consuming. I want you, the Holy Spirit's challenging you today. Are you going to create or are you going to consume? Why should we watch two, three, four Netflix series when God has called you to make worship music? Or he's called you to be the one to make a new game that's evangelistic or to write a poem. I'm not trying to heap guilt on you or, or maybe finish your degree or whatever it is that God's called you to do. Work on your marriage. In this group, I know... My kids are also creating music. Al, Alexis, Matt F., and I feel called to learn uh, Japanese to some degree. Others, engineering people. A lot of us need to spend time in good works cultivating marriages or relationships, maybe broken relationships. You're supposed to be writing a letter. You're supposed to be sending encouragement, not just YouTubing until you fall asleep on the couch. Experimental group. For God, something like that, okay? Um, we're meant to be creative. Why? Because we are God's workmanship created in um, either affirmation that you're doing well, keep walking in that good work, or you would convict us to give you the time so we can not live by our old nature, but live by the new nature. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to talk about why should we do the good works. Do you struggle in this area? Do you struggle to do the good things that God has called you to do? And then I'm going to have Pastor Chris come up and talk about his book. Because it was totally an easy project, right? No, it was struggle. It's difficult. When you're called to do something, it's always difficult. Um, so let's look at the context in Ephesians 2. It's one of my favorite um, passages in the Bible. Um, we're focusing on verse 10, but right now, let's look at verse 1. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Call ourselves believers. We were once um, children of wrath. And we were condemned. We were like zombies. We were physically alive, yet spiritually dead. Look at verse 2. In which you, you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? A Satan. In the mind. And we were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What this says is because we were dead spiritually, we had habits in our body of just indulging our passions. For what purpose? Just ourself. Just self-gratification. And a lot of us as believers, look at verse 4. Norm always preaches on this. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loves us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Amen? So spiritually, we've been made alive. But what happens? We have an old pattern in our flesh of just indulging our passions. 
I just want to, instead of do the works God wants me to do, I just want to indulge continuously in my passions. And what God wants to say to you today is, why don't you give me back some of the time that you spend on your passions and use those in the power of the Spirit to do the good work I have for you? Look at verse 8. And this is very important. For grace, you've been saved through faith. Does it, says, does it say here you were saved by your works? We've got to be very clear. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And it's not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not as a result of works that no one can boast. So Paul trips all over himself to make sure you're clear that unlike all the other religions, you're not saved because of good works. Okay? The good works come in verse 10, for we are his workmanship. The word there, workmanship, is poema, which is like poem. So you are God's precious artwork. God is a very good poet, and you are his poem. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, my first question is, why do we do the good works? Very simply put, God is a creator. And his image is inside of you, so you create. God is the creator. He, he spoke the world into existence. We are speaking spirits that are embodied. It says, death and life is in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat of its fruit. If you're singing a song, you're speaking. And it's spiritual. If you're creating music for the Lord, it's spiritual. If you're creating a screenplay or whatever it is, it's a good work to edify God. We were created in, in the middle of the verse of verse 10, created in Christ Jesus for good works. In John 1.1, 1, 1, Jesus is the creator. Christian means little Christ, follower of Christ. If we follow Christ, we create, we do good works. By our own flesh? By the power of the Spirit. How do we know? How can I have confidence? Because look, it says, which God prepared beforehand. That we should walk in them. We just need to walk into it. It's in front of us. We've come out of a series of transformation. We're going to be moving for us to do. As an individual, he has a new work for you to do. And together as a church, he has a new work for us to do. Now, how do we know what the good work is? When I did my thought experiment and I said, if tomorrow was your last day, I mean, the Bible gives us that kind of warning because he wants us to live sober. What would you regret not having done? I'm not trying to guilt trip you. The good news is you're alive. And God's just saying, wake up. Don't be intoxicated with Babylon. Don't be intoxicated with the passions of this world. Wake up. You're my church. I want to use you to do great works. So God might give you a vision or a dream like he gave Joseph. Literal, figurative. You might have this conviction. Sometimes like Nehemiah, he saw the broken walls and it broke his heart. And he just said, I know I have to do something about this. 
some of the women in the church, after second day, they went and got ice cream, and they saw someone on the sidewalk, a woman who was distraught and just crying, and they felt compelled, I need to talk to her. And they did it. When Lorraine came up here last week and she talked about she feels a conviction to help homeless children, where did that come from? Maybe God just prompted her heart. We could ask Lorraine later. It could be that she has experiences. She worked with homeless in different organizations. So what God will do is he'll take a confluence of your giftings, your passions, your convictions, and he'll say, I want you to do this. But he doesn't always give you the blueprint. Exactly. You just have to take steps in the direction, which takes courage. And I, I think of my brother and I when we we're, you know, five years old drawing. It was not toil. There's a joy in it. Yes, writing a song is difficult. But when, when John is just jamming, I bet it's joy. I bet it's, it's fun. What are you good at? Doing your podcast? Doing your screenwriting? Um, maybe a business plan? Maybe a ministry? Maybe God called you to mentor Christian entrepreneurs overseas so they can fund missionaries? I don't know what that is. But God will put it on your but there's this crazy guy I know who loves the Lord and he shared the vision. And I said, you know what? I want to help build the church too. I will help you in your vision. A lot of us, that's what Nehemiah did. God gave Nehemiah the vision and said, we got to rebuild these walls. And they're like, what, what do we do? He says, okay, you just build in front of your house. Okay. So some of you, you might have personal visions. You might have this grand vision, but maybe you're just called to help the vision of this church. What happens when we do the good works? That's my, that's my third question. What happens when we do these good works? Jesus says, the people will let your light shine before others that they will see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We are salt and light. Works. People see and glorify God. Isn't that what expanding God's kingdom is about? What happens when we don't do the good works? You have a middle-aged crisis and you say, what has my life become? No. Some of us do. James 4 says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Oh, great. Guilt trip. But I want you to notice some. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. See, if John is called to write a song and he doesn't, it's sin for him. But if Mike doesn't write a song, it's not sin for me. Each We're a body. We're all different parts. So there are some things that are meant for you to do. How can they call on the needs of your flesh? There is great fulfillment when something you do helps someone come to Christ. When you do your research, why is it such a struggle? And as I list these 10 reasons, I'm probably guilty of probably 10 of them. Maybe you're guilty of 10 of them too. So whether you're diligent or you're lazy, both men have the same goal and the same desires. Number two is we're fearful. God said, here's your promised land. The 12 spies doing the work of God of John. He says, I, God's speaking to me. And then one day he told me, he said, I'm done with this. I want to pursue this relationship. And he just left God. 
And those kind of incidents broke my heart, and I, I wanted to quit ministry, and I stopped for a while. It can be very painful. That leads to number four, an inner vow. When you're hurt, you say things like, I'll never do this again. I'll never share with this person again. I'll never. If you've said those vows, who are you to say that to God? You're not God. That's what Lucifer did. I will do this. I will control things. We want to see it. We want the beginning from the end. We want a guarantee. That's not a life of faith. So we have disbelief. Six. We quit too early. Hebrews 12. The process, because he cares about your character, is going to be difficult because he's working something inside of you because you're not ready for success yet. And he says that if you don't lose heart, there'll be a righteousness, but all discipline feels painful at the time. Seven, it's sacrifice. It always costs you something. For my family relationship, I have three teenagers. This past year, I was working till 11, almost four nights a week. And I, I had to talk to my bosses and I made a good decision. But when I went into that room, I've been at that organization for 20 years. I went in and I said, I have to cut back with the knowledge that it could cost me my job. But I felt convinced that it was what was supposed to happen. When my brother, he felt in prayer, make the movie now. So he quit his job and people said, you're crazy. You're going to spend all your money. He had a down payment for a house. He gave up that house to do the work that God called him to do. Eight. So that was sacrifice. Eight. It's collaborative. When we do the works of God, we have to work with each other. Proverbs 18.1. A lot of times we want to isolate ourselves. because, But God wants us to work as a body. And when we work as a body, it means we're accountable. It also means we're vulnerable. And we don't want to do that, but we have to do it. That's another reason. Nine, we do things for the wrong motives. I want to be a famous author for God. I want to be a famous actor for God. I want to be a famous athlete for God. Good, do it. But sometimes we say for God, but it's really for us. And if you're really God's person, he will prevent you from destruction because he loves you. We always have to ask, is this work for God or is this work for myself, my own name? And 10, the reason why it's so... We have to walk in the power of the Spirit. We're in this body. It says in Romans 7 that the things I want to do, I don't do. And these things I don't want to do, I do. Who will deliver me from this body of death? (laughs) Only God. So those are the 10 reasons why we struggle. We're lazy. We're fearful. We have hurt. We make inner vows. We lack faith and we disbelief. We quit. We're not willing to make the sacrifice. We don't want to collaborate. We do things for the wrong motives. We do things in the power of the flesh. I would say this. If you're a musician and you don't like the worship music and God has given you the gifts and the time, you lose your right to complain about it if you're not willing to do anything about it. You can't say all these Christian movies stink and you're not writing your screenplay or you're not producing the movie. You lose your right. You can't say this church doesn't have such and such and such and such. And then you don't want to lift the finger for ministry. We lose our rights. It's like God wants us to do this work. So here's my exhortations, and then I'm going to call Pastor Chris up. Number one, 
Pray for wisdom. What is the good work God wants you to do? Or what is the good work he wants you to support? Number two, (laughs) just confess. Like for me, I probably confessed the whole list, okay? Maybe eight out of ten of ways that I've fallen short. And Pastor Chris, you can come get get ready. Um, And three, not like the Netflix, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram police. But think about it. The Holy Spirit knows how many hours you're logging a week. He might say to you, can I have a chunk? How many, how many, how much binge watching do we need to do? Okay. You're on force of series. Can we cut it to two series? And then the time you were going to spend on that third and fourth series, do something like write a song. You know, I was in a, this has been a really busy time for me at work. Crazy, a lot of hours. And ministry has been a lot too. Follow me as I follow Christ. It's not boasting. I knew uh, I got to cut off all media for the next two weeks or else I can never do anything for God right now. And And God might be calling some of you for a fast to detox you from your patterns of indulgence because you're a new creation. Four. In the proportion of the time that you're fasting, start that project 15 minutes a day. I don't know what it is, a business plan. It could be um, being more diligent with your with your calls. It could be spending time studying that Bible or creating, writing that song, jamming. Number five, tell someone that you trust and be accountable. Not for judgment's sake, but just say, I feel called. I need to be, I ought to be working on this. Can you help pray for me and encourage me? And when we do that, Jesus says, when we, we show our light before men, great things will happen. He can use us and the world will give God glory. Amen. So I'm going to ask Pastor Chris to come on up. Please give him a warm round of applause. Well, uh, actually encouraging in a way. So, yeah, I, I, I yes, it is. It is. And, and like I'm coming from a place of struggle and angst. But um the question I keep getting in social media, we'll just get rid of it off the bat is that what is your secret for your good looks and style? I'm going to shower after that. All right. On that note, so I heard you wrote a book. What's the name of it and what's the go? Um, and you know, Pastor Mike talks about things that God has laid upon your heart and there are certain things you want to do. There are certain things you have to do. And I think that, you know, and you're going to find this, um, as you get older is that, you know, I was just talking with Sue during the break about how your views on leadership and kind of change as you get older. And I think one of the things that happened to me is that as I got older, I realized how much of my life needed to be concentrated on a few things that I cared about. Um, I care about my family, God, obviously. I care about the church. And so uh, the book is really an attempt to, um, to equip the church with a, uh, what I see as a roadmap for the future, how to navigate the future uh, in the post-Christian context here in the Western world. And so it's kind of my attempt to add to that dialogue. How, how did you come to come to the conviction that you needed to write this book and not someone else? 
the, I think the best convictions come out of your experiences. Um, and some of the experiences you have, you know, God just opens your eyes, some things that he breaks your heart. And um, a lot of this book is uh, what I've thought about since. And um, as I've thought about, now there's all data specifically with Gen X. Um, I'm a Gen Xer. Wow, you're old. You know, but when I was 28 years old, I actually turned to a pastor and I said, uh, when I was 28, I said, you know, I've made a decision that aside from holding on to my love of 80s new wave music and, um, and pop culture, I'm renouncing my status as a Gen Xer. I now am going to think more like a millennial and the generation that comes after. <laughs> so I actually made that decision when I was 28. Um, but, uh, so I, I think that it just kind of came about and looking around at where culture was at, uh, and I noticed these mega trends, and now it's talked about all the time, but it wasn't talked about a lot in the mid-1990s, about how people are moving away from church, they're moving away from um, doctrinal belief, and, and specifically with Gen X, something happened uh, in the transition from the, the builders to the boomers to the Gen Xers, and now it's just accelerated with the millennials and Gen Z. And so that's really what the book has been about, is that transition and what the future might look like. Um, if you actually take one of the manuscripts and look at it, one of the first things I say in uh, the beginning is, uh, if you're... Uh, I, I don't mean this in a flippant way, but is this book prophetic in a sense? Um, it's. I wouldn't say prophetic. I would say it's more of um, my attempt at defining reality because you find that before you go off into saying oh this is what this should be this is how we should do things blah 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 uh, you often find that people come from different places on on defining what is actually happening uh, 2055 if half of the things i talk about don't come true i'll be incredibly happy i'd love for half the book to be wrong um, but it's more of a, a guess a theory and um, a, a kind of a hunch of where things are leading what do you hope the reader will gain from this? Like, who's your intended audience? I know it's church leaders, right? Or is it the parishioner as well? Um, it's The intended o- audience for this book is anyone who has an interest in the future of the church here in the Western context, whether you're a pastor or a layperson. Um, I think that, you know, when we think about the future, we often think about what's happening with the young people. And so if I had to choose... And I, I say this in the beginning of the book, I'm really on a personal level, on the deepest personal level. After God, I'm really writing this for Darcy, Keen, and Ethan, hmm. and the world that uh, they may grow up in. Okay. Um, in terms of today, we talked about process and doing the good works. Uh, and I, I, li- I read a list of uh, 10 factors that cause us to struggle. Um, was this, the writing process, a struggle? And, and what can you say about that um, that process for you? It was definitely a struggle. And I want to say first off, it, it wasn't just me. It was my, my family. You know, my, I, I asked for a lot of sacrifice. So it was all of us, really. And it was my time I took away, took away from their time. And you don't, you don't do anything of significance without the combined sacrifice and support and input of those around you. And so my family was great in allowing that. Uh, but it was a struggle. You know, the Bible talks about struggle. Uh, you look in Romans 5, you look in uh, James 1, it talks about how God uses temptation, testing, suffering 
to develop your character, to develop endurance, which then endure, uh, develops your character, which leads you to God of struggle. You know, Solomon starts and he says, meaningless, vanity, I tried this, I looked at that, I, I did all this stuff in the world, and, and I finally came to the conclusion that the sum total of all things is to fear God and follow his commands. And so um, I think you don't get to that place. You don't feel in the gut uh, the need, the urgency to fear God and obey his commands until you've gone through the struggle. And, and I don't think Solomon would have gotten to that place had he not talked about all the other struggles and exhausting all the other things. So um, I'm not stupid. They don't want to follow people who don't have a passion for something. They don't want to follow people who are indifferent and the details of the thing. I would love, I'm actually asking you to take a copy. Um, this is not going to be the final form. It's the manuscript. It's the draft. I'm going to take your feedback. I'm going to integrate it. And then I'm going to send it off to the publisher to hopefully be published in September. Um, and then we're going to go on a book tour. Um, and, and so I'm unashamedly asking for your help. Maybe it's the Asian side. It probably is. Um, but I'm, I'd actually like you to take it. And it's 66 different entries. And the book form, if as it stays as it is, would probably be about 250 pages. Um, but I actually want you to take a red pen and grade each one of the 66 entries. You don't have, I'm not asking you to commit to reading all 66. You don't have to. Um, you can actually read the book forward to backwards or backwards to forwards. You can cherry pick wherever you want to go. Uh, you could read 10 entries of the 66, but I, I will want to, I, I want to ask you to make a commitment to me though. If you take a manuscript, um, you, you, uh, you are committing yourself to giving me feedback on at least part of it. Okay. And so um, I very much value, I want this to be a community effort in, in that respect. And maybe by the end of June, you can give me feedback. It would be a great thing. Um, just wrapping up, but Ephesians uh, 2.10, as we look at uh, all these artists and creative people in front of us, what um, encouragement, what pastoral encouragement would you give them in their own uh, collective and individual journeys? I think the encouragement... I would give is, um, like Pastor Mike was saying, in Ephesians 2.10, uh, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. And uh, sometimes that's a book. Sometimes it's serving someone, whatever that might be. Right, right. right. But uh, for me... It was something that I felt an urgency about. It was something that I was willing to sacrifice for and um, I thought would help. And I would encourage you that you need to find that thing in your life that you really care about and that you're really willing to sacrifice for. Uh, because you have a voice and... The world doesn't need more people to volunteer for things. What the world and the church needs is people who have an urgency, who have a passion, who are willing to take a risk and willing to say, say. And if you do, 
You don't have to write a book, but you should say it. Because the world and the church needs to hear that. I'll just say one other thing about that. Um, one of the passages that I, I think Pastor Mike referred to in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 16, is very important. So everything I said, if you have a voice, passion, if you have something to say, say it, stands. But with this caveat, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, he said, Let your light shine before men. Uh, let them see your good works, and so they can praise your Father who is in heaven. Whatever good work God has for you, whatever you're passionate about, whatever you want to sacrifice for, whatever voice that um, you're going to, message you're going to add to the conversation, make sure that that in some way is pointing that good work in some way to God pointing to the glory of God. And uh, I think when God finds those kinds of people, man, uh, that's where the magic happens. So I hope that for you. And tell us the name of the book again. I'll pray for you. Um, Church Movement in an Age of Spiritual Exploration. Okay, let, uh, let's pray. Uh, worship team, you can get ready. But um, Lord Jesus, thank you that we are your workmanship, that you've called us in Christ Jesus for good works. Thank you for the book that uh, Pastor Chris has written. I pray that you would use it to build up the church and to prepare us for the days ahead. Uh, thank you for the, the, the toil that he put in and, and his family has sacrificed. I pray for everybody here uh, for that good work that you're putting at the forefront of their minds. Help them 